You're listening to the Green Majority Radio Program. Thank you so much for downloading our show. You haven't heard my preamble voice in a little while, and that's because we've been breathtakingly busy in our personal lives. We do apologize. Uh, But the show will go on as it continues to. If you would like to help it go on, we're actually, uh, as we announce, you'll hear later in the program we announced we're uh, looking to actually hire some help. Uh, You can help us hire some help uh, that will vastly improve the show because it will mean that uh, Stefan and myself, who have increasingly less and less free time, just enough time to do the show, don't worry, but not not enough time to do some of the very important background work, uh, is that we're looking to hire someone to do some work for us so that we can, instead of playing triage we can actually continue to push the show forward which is uh, what we would very much like to do Uh, but we need your help because to pay this person we need money and our patron account is not quite enough to uh, hire someone Uh, so uh, we are looking specifically for uh, financial help at this point is the most important thing because that will bring us a very important first ever in the 10-year history of the Green Majority Green Majority employee who's going to actually help us uh, make this show as awesome as we know it can be, but we often are not quite able to pull it with the free time that we have. So that is my message for this week. So as usual, plug for our Patreon account, but now with a very, very specific purpose of hiring someone uh, to help improve the show in very, very tangible ways. You can contribute to the program by being a member. Uh, recommended membership is $5, but of course the, the membership fee is blank. We let you fill that in with whatever you can afford and are comfortable with. You can go below $5 you can go above $5, whatever uh, suits your budget. You can do that at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash green majority. And uh, please consider doing that today. And as well, if you're interested in applying for that position, uh, we will have a post up at some point. Uh, but uh, for now, you can just go ahead and email us and we'll make sure that you get a copy when we are ready to go on that. Without further delay, however, uh, please enjoy this week's program. And welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Aaron Kaster, and this is my uh, calm voice today. Ooh, so this, so nice. This should, this should tell you already, for any longtime listeners, what the tone of today's show is going to be. More sarcasm, less feisty weedies. <laughs> uh, speak for yourself. Right. I'm starting, I'm starting feisty. Uh, Stefan, uh, Stefan's, uh, uh, what's the, on deck here? Is that the right term? Uh, sure, why not? It's the basic sure. playoffs. Steph- on deck it is. All right. I, this, this is an on-running game where I <laughs> mock Stefan by, by Not understanding the sport of baseball. Works. Uh, so, uh, all right. Well, that's enough of that. Let me tell you what's going to happen today on the show, and then I'm going to hand off to uh, Stefan, who's standing by. Uh, at the end of the show, uh, there's a couple of items that might go in there. We're going to freestyle it as usual, but my intention is to talk about um, an idea I've had for a little while that will come back and we'll spend more most of a show on but i felt like this was a good week to tease it and uh, the tease for the tease uh is that i think that uh trade deals can be a good thing if we want them to be and i have a proposition about how we can actually use things like trade deals uh so like not uh like the tpp but something like the tpp but not like the details of it but something conceptually like it uh to actually do a whole lot of good that is my tease for the tease 
Uh, we're also going to be talking a little bit about uh, the Trump uh, clean power plan reversal and how what a terrible human being Scott Pruitt is. <laughs> um, that's coming up later. But Stefan is going to get around to starting with fires is, is I think, the best way to start with that. Yeah. Pro- promo that. Go ahead. Why yeah. don't you go ahead? Thank you. Uh, so I'm actually going to start with a with a with a 38 second clip uh, that I found on uh, that I found on uh, Twitter a couple days ago, uh, tweeted out by Sean King and. I promise I'm eventually going to get back to where this makes sense. Uh, so it, uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna listen to this clip. I'm gonna probably we're probably gonna play play it twice just so you can really listen to it. Uh, and then and then I'm gonna start talking about wildfires. And by the end of this segment, it will all make sense. Uh, this is my promise. Uh, so so uh, can we can we play that clip? Place out there. I don't want uh, state prisoners. Okay. They are a necessary evil to keep the doors open that we keep a few or keep some out there. And that's the ones that you can work. That's the ones that can pick up trash, the work release programs. But guess what? Those are the ones that they're releasing. In addition to the, in addition to the bad ones, and I call these bad, in addition to them, they're releasing some good ones that we use every day to to wash cars, to change oil in our cars, to cook in the kitchen, to do all that where we save money. Well, they're going to let them out. Yeah, uh, and so and so to, to, to give context on that, and then and then we'll play it again. Uh, this is Steve Pratter, the sheriff of Caddo, uh, Caddo Parish, which is in Louisiana. So he's a sheriff explaining why he didn't want to let uh, let uh, prisoners out of jail early basically right. uh so just play it one more time <laughs> if we can uh just with this is a this is a this is a sheriff uh he this is his job is to work uh, work in this 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 field and this is what he said can, can i just say really quickly before you to play it again that yeah. any man with that accent using them in a sentence even before i knew they were prisoners makes me extremely uncomfortable yeah this is not this is not great yeah. uh but let's play it again place out there. I don't want uh, state prisoners, okay? They are a necessary evil to keep the doors open that we keep a few or keep some out there. And that's the ones that you can work. That's the ones that can pick up trash, the work release programs. But guess what? Those are the ones that they're releasing. In addition to the in addition to the bad ones, and I call these bad, in addition to them, they're releasing some good ones that we use every day to to wash cars, to change oil in our cars, to cook in the kitchen, to do all that where we save money. Well, they're going to let them out. Okay, so... I would like to bet first off that that man has a mustache. Uh, he does not. Damn, sorry. Uh, but, okay, so, so th- that is a sheriff in Louisiana. Louisiana is a messed up state uh, for many reasons, but that's a sheriff in Louisiana, uh, and I promise I'll get back to what, why I played that in half a second. Uh, but first, jumping over to the other side uh, of the continent, there are fires absolutely raging uh, in, in, in all of California. There, there have been 31 fire-related deaths as of Thursday. Uh, 17 people have died in Sonoma County, eight more in, in Medicino County, two in Napa County, and four in Yuba County. And local hospitals are treating many other people for injuries. 3,500 structures have been destroyed 15, uh, in more than 15 Northern California fly, fires, and there's actually there's been more than 15 actually already, uh, and covering collectively more than 1, 160,000 acres. 
So this is a huge fire. This is a fire that is so large that basically anywhere in California is seeing some sort of distortion of the sky because of the smoke. It's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, they've declared a state of emergency in, in, in many of those counties. Uh, they've, there's just destruction everywhere. Yeah, 3,500 structures, uh, yeah. not just from this fire, but over this fire season. 3,500 structures and 160,000 acres. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, and 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 this is again. This is one of those things in which this uh, this all actually it happened quite quickly recently. Uh, it's not uncommon for, for there to be fires in in California. That is that is not what we're talking about here. Right? It's not like oh man, there's any fires at all. This is terrible. Uh, it is it is the number of fires and the speed at which they grew. Uh, like it, it, over just basically one night uh, on Sunday. 17 major fires developed incredibly quickly, and six additional fires have ignited since then. And 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 they and the control of these fires is not is is still quite is still quite uh, minimal. These are this is a couple days old on Thursday morning, but or last yesterday morning, but about ten percent of containment for for the fires in the wine countries uh, and others are even down only one in five percent contained. So these are fires that are just absolutely raging out of control, and and of course. Uh, <laughs> It can't help but notice. Uh, uh, California's Governor Jerry Brown said on Wednesday the federal government has pledged assistance. But, of course, guess where those assistant people are? Guess where a lot of people who would be helping with fires are? Houston. Mm-hmm. Tech. Uh, Florida. You know, these uh, these places where, who just, just a reminder, we got hit, the United States got hit by three major hurricanes. A massive percentage of Puerto Rico remains without power. Uh, and so... There's not they're they're stretched. There's not as much resources here to actually affect to 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 fight these fires because of the other if, uh, compounding impacts of climate change. Right. They're not available to bail water in one place because they're busy bailing water for an entirely different purpose in another place. Exactly. And and these and and these are the sort of things that are that that are that are were were one hundred percent foretold by climate scientists. You know, this is we're not talking about this is not prophecy. This is this is people being like, no, this is how this will happen, and then and this is the act of seeing it. And it, and it goes as far as a man named Will Buckland, who has a vineyard in Sonoma Valley, uh, which some of it got burned down, uh, is quoted as saying, "We have the wettest year on record and the driest year on record within the span of three years. This is exactly what what we predicted would happen." This is he's right. You know, this is like it's 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 got to be hard to be these people in these places where y- everyone has told you over and over and over again uh, that it's dangerous, that it is that these bad things are going to happen, that all of these different things are going to going to occur, uh, and then and then to watch them occur and watch nothing being done about it. In fact, as we'll, as we'll po- highlight in the second half, in the middle of the show, mm. is not even nothing's been done about it. We're going backwards. We're going backwards and trying to stop these sort of these travesties. And these and how do you explain that to these people who are who are on the the, the front lines fighting these fighting these fires, dealing with these hurricanes, experiencing these acts of extreme weather that are just absolute that are that are beginning to feel relentless. And and that I think is the is the part that most often got it gets ignored when uh, people who are sort of less deep in this uh, start talking about climate change. Is it, it's not we're not going to get one storm. It's not going to be like the day after tomorrow where one storm wipes out basically the entire electrical mm-hmm. grid. What you're going to get is storm after storm after wildfire after storm after wildfire after blizzard, and the compounding impacts of this will slowly break the resilience of the our infrastructure. Yeah. 
can I interject yep. for a moment? So I uh, just a uh, thought occurred to me for a comparison from while well, we're talking about sort of like the psychology of this uh, for a moment, of course, too, you know, we have the wildflowers, we have the floods, um, uh, floods due to hurricane, uh, the hurricane damage itself. And then also, uh, you know, another newsy thing that's been, uh, on, you know, talk of covering everybody's news streams right now, of course, was the shooting. Uh, and it occurs to me that there's, I, I don't know that I have a point here aside just to point out an interesting thing to think about is that um, when we're talking about fires and storms, because it's so much harder, it's, it's, it's so much harder to sort of place blame on uh, physics. Uh, and also when the solution to preventing climate change is simplified to the point of not being true, but for the sake of this sentence, uh, you know, the, when the solution to climate change is to drive less, it's sort of saying, well, it's your fault for this damage. Whereas when there's a shooter or something, okay, we can be mad at the shooter. Well, the shooter's dead. Well, we can get mad at the uh, at politicians for not taking action. Like there's there's more, there feels like there's something more you can do. And it feels like something that's someone else's fault or something that someone else should, should have done or should do. Uh, whereas I feel even though in reality it's the same, uh, I feel like there, there, we see very different amounts of traction and very, mis very, amount, uh, very different types of conversations about things that are, in a way, very similar, uh, but they're treated very, very, very differently because of the fact that the, the sense of agency, about the fact about whether the, the, the quote-unquote bad guy is physics or, or the NRA, for instance. Well, I also think there's a, there's a difficulty in, in conveying the... You know, the clean power plan is not is, is, like you, when when someone tax healthcare, you're able to say you know it's going to get rid of 600 million uh, you know people are going to be without insurance. Uh, without the without the EPA or the, if the EPA stops regulating carbon, or you're talking about those prices, it's a much different. It's much more difficult to say this will happen because of this. Mm -hmm. You know, and these types of things. Yeah, so it's hard to motivate people. Um, and and then also it's hard to it's hard. It, what's what's very concerning also is the normalization of these storms. You know, the fact that Puerto Rico can be ninety one percent without power, which is actually up from eighty three percent yesterday, and that has fallen entirely off our news cycle, is 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 indicative of the of the ability of media to normalize true atrocities and true dangers that are happening on, on ongoing. And at some point, even we on this show have 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 you know jokingly mentioned how difficult it is to spend every episode explaining the latest terrible weather thing or the latest like you get you get saturated by it. Mm. Um, but to jump back to the fires. Mm -hmm. This, do you have a sense of the scale of, uh, of this? Um, there are 8,000 firefighters working across the strait, uh, along with 73 helicopters, 30 air tankers, uh, and, and, all, and, they're, and they're trying to get more resources in, from other places, and including 175 engines from neighboring states and dozens more from federal agencies. So this is an all-hands-on-deck uh, experience. And that includes a very particularly interesting set of people. And this is where I get back to the very beginning. And this is where I get back to the, uh, the, the fact that whenever you're talking about these issues, more often than not, if not always, everything is linked together. Every little piece of the, of, of the system is linked in some way to some other destructive piece. And the way this one is, is that along with 8,000 of uh, oh, those firefighters, there are 4,000 low-level prisoners fighting this fire in California. There are 4,000. Uh, they are between, between 30 and 40% of California's firefighters are state prison inmates. 
the very same people at the beginning of this uh, this this episode, you heard uh, a similar ish in that this Louisiana, not California, but them talk about sort of the need to keep them there uh, so they could keep doing the work because we can't afford it, and. This is and and so for and the way this works is that for years California's prison system has operated something which is perhaps the world's worst name for anything. Uh, they they that's call, a bold claim, Stephen. So California's prison system has operated something they call conservation camps, <laughs> uh, in which low-level felons in state prison systems volunteer to do manual labor outside, uh, like clearing brush and prevent four fires. I said I said conservation. Yes, conservation camps. I don't, maybe this is a there's a decent possibility that they probably do not call this that the, the, the state themselves pro- hopefully do not call this that, but it's how it was referenced in Mother in the Mother Jones article, um, and. And it, what's interesting is, like, on the outside, you can see why this is a, a, would actually be a, a pretty nice, uh, not nice, but a good program to have. Uh, you know, they pay inmates uh, to do this work. They, uh, you know, it gets it gives them an opportunity to sort of be out, outside. They get job skills. There's a bunch of reasons why this is a, why this this is reasonable. On the same side, uh, when you start hearing this, the Louisiana sheriff's side of this of being like, we can't afford to not have prisoners because they are doing the work for us. It's important to note that these firefighters make two dollars a day uh, and two dollars an hour when they're on the fire line. Mm. So they say, so they save California State Fire eighty million dollars a year by putting prisoners on the front lines of firefighting. And it's and it's not like this is not this is not the. The, the, this is not sort of they're not just clearing brush around this they are often working on the edges of fires with flames over 100 feet high uh, you know there's a quote from uh, Bill Sassa the, a spokesperson for the state's department of Connect, uh, corrections and rehabilitations whose quote is saying you can't deny how dangerous this work is uh, and then he but then he defends it by saying oh, there have only been two or three serious injuries and no deaths among inmate firefighters over the past two years so two or three people who you've locked up are paying p- absolutely pennies to be in front of fire, a bunch of fires, over and over again have been injured in the last two years. This will only continue as these things get worse. A couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation about wh- how I thought the military would probably get get, get get ass involved. I had not considered the possibility of the and the much more dangerous possibility that inmates might be the ones instead to to be brought into this, mm. and and how once again we see another way that the most vulnerable populations are putting being put in harm's way due in at least in part to its ongoing environmental issues. These are these are the ways that we are now using inmates to quote unquote save money and as 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 these resources get tapped as conservative and as as, as governments consistently cut ability our ability to respond the idea that we're ever going to have uh, enough money to affect the, what we already know will be increasing increasing costs is unlikely and so where are they going to find the labor to actually sort of fight these fires? Where are they going to find this? And it's very concerning that the answer might be inmates because that is that, that feeds the prison industrial complex, that, that feeds the, 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 need, the expectation that you can actually just ignore uh, fully funding these sort of things. It, it, it puts these people who are already in the most vulnerable state you can have, in which the state has decided that they can you know that they can, you know they they control your life and where your freedom, and puts them directly in front of fires. It's just, 
it's again like it's one of the things which inter- in which in a very small little thing when you read about the program it makes sense and there's lots of reasons why I'm sure the people who were in part of it probably actually it's probably better than prison um, and how, that however was, better I mean, than prison is a very low bar <laughs> Like that's not a bar you should be setting for anything, especially if these are these are already they're, they're low level felons. They are quote the good ones, as as the as the sheriff said at the beginning of this, uh, beginning of this piece. These are the people who, for all intents and purposes, should be free to go because you probably arrested them for something like selling weed, which is legal in a bunch of states already. It's it's unbelievable right. that this is a system you set up, and the massive concern here is if. At any point in time, these states start expecting, like the guy literally said in Louisiana, that the only way to afford what they're doing currently is to use prison prisoners to do it. Then it is just ludicrously like this is on a slippery slope. This is already at the bottom of the slope. You're already like there's not you know it's not it's not like this is a concern that could get worse. This is already. I'm pretty sure I could come up with something. Again, <laughs> like that sounded like a challenge, Stefan. It's it, it is it it's is bad. It it's is very bad. It is unconscionable that the that the our answer to climate change is well, we need cheap labor, so let's arrest more people and use them as the way to combat this. And that's it. That's it. This is bad, and everyone should know this is happening because. When I when I when I heard the the, the clip that I played at the beginning of this earlier this week, I I truly didn't expect it to be as damning as him actually just saying what he said. And when I and when I read the, when I read these fires and then read about this piece, I was like, this is this is a connection that has to be made, and this is a conversation we have to have starting because we need people to be responding to these to these things. We need people responding, and. It can't be done this way, or we are entering, or, or we're no longer just talking about a dystopia that might exist in the future. We're living it now. Right. Uh, and, and with that, I think we've run out of time, so it probably makes sense to throw to the music break. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'll just make a, a really quick comment about that. Uh, I, but I think, like, my, you know, because I've talked about it on the show before about uh, guaranteed minimum income and, and also pairing it with a uh, maximum income and, and ideas like this. And th- I don't know. I think. You know, removing some of the details conceptually, there's you know some some arguments could be made for the system. But the the reason why ultimately I think I agree with you, despite the fact that I think I'm more okay with it than it sounds like you are. Um, ultimately, why I would still err up being on the same side is that you know with that respect to like how we organize society, you know you've people committed a crime and then you're paying them a very low wage and giving them job training. Uh, as a way to sort of pay repay their debt to society. So why don't we cut out the middleman and not wait for them to commit a crime, which in almost all cases, in the vast majority of cases, is not because they're criminally psychotic, but because they have a need, like for instance, they're poor and they needed to steal food or something, or maybe they didn't steal food, but whatever. But it's something you know stemming most cases from uh, poverty or a mental health issue, both of which are preventable. Um, to why don't we not wait for them to commit the crime and just give them a job and job training before they commit a crime and then we have the same exact situation uh, except they have the ability to leave anytime they want and someone didn't have to get robbed or you know beat up or something in the meantime just wanted to just throw that 
thought out there for anyone who's maybe with me in the sense that they're like that there sounds like there's some redeeming qualities to that it's the, so again, the, the, the redeeming quality is that we can do it without the crime and without the jail part i would say that the, like here's <laughs> the thing the program itself is a reasonable way to to, to include if you were in a system like it's not it's not unreasonable to be doing those types of things depending on what it is the problem is it exists within a system that is deeply deeply racist mm. that is incarcerating tons of people for things as petty especially like here's here's uh, I will leave you with one last tidbit of information about this fact because it is also shows how messed up the whole system is when California tried to repeal their three strikes rule which basically means that if you get three charges of even some minor charges uh, you are put away for life uh, which is probably where a lot of these inmates are coming from they're Mm -hmm. probably you know they're probably here for they're probably in long long stays they probably did not too much um, and that they are, they it was w- the third largest union in California. I believe it's third largest union. I might be I might be incorrect. It might be second or fourth or something like that now. But it was a couple. It was a year ago when I heard this. Um, third large largest union in, that, in, in in California fought vigorously against it. The third largest union in California is prison guards. So there you go. You have a you have the third largest union fighting to keep as many people in jail as possible. Then you have the government using the the fact that there are that there are excess prisoners to pay them nothing to fight forest fires, and if that does not concern you, then we are living on a different planet. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah the question is how did people become prisoners and are you keeping them longer when they could be set free because you want free labor? Those are definitely the two problems. Uh, for sure. So let's move on to our music break, and then Stefan, we're coming back to talk about the clean po- uh, power plant. Yeah, because you know, who cares about climate change? Let's just cut all the things that might save us. There you go. Well, see, if you did warn us you would take in your feisty. I told you. This morning. I did. All right, there we go. Uh, so uh, Megan's on the decks over here. What are we going to listen to for our music break? All right, you are listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am your host, Aaron Kaster, and in the studio with Stefan Hostetter, and you're listening to us on, could be CIUT, could be one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners all across the country and internationally as well, uh, or you could be listening on our very own podcast, which can be found at greenmajority.ca, along with all of our show notes. Uh, Stefan and I have had uh, some... Uh, real struggle to get the show notes and, and show posts up. Uh, this is a temporary problem for those of you who might be concerned. Uh, and uh, actually, well, I was going to say it later, but this is a perfect opportunity to say that while we're be jumping the gun to say that we're sort of ready to go on that, uh, Stefan and I are increasingly busy with our actual jobs that pay us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're looking for some more help. So while the post is not out yet, we are actually going to be putting out an official uh, application for a producer for the show. Uh, we would uh, probably prefer someone in Toronto, but we would uh, open it up to anybody anywhere so while we don't have the actual uh, job description as it were available at this time uh, if you are super keen to be involved with the Green Majority you can go ahead and email us and just let us know and maybe we can start some background chat uh, now and we'll keep you posted as we move along uh, with that I'm going to do uh, of course you do that at greenmajority.ca and I believe it's slash contact us but it should be it'll be obvious when you get to there's the website. a contact button yeah there's a contact button uh, so section two, as it were, here on the Green Majority is going to be with regards to the clean power plan and the possible impending doom thereof. Uh, we covered the clean power plan. Uh, oh, I'm blanking now. I didn't have it in front of me. Uh, how many years ago? It's Obama. Maybe six years ago? Uh, no, two, it was two, later in his term. So in 2009, he set up the technical working group to, 
working group that sort of began the conversation around getting a social cost on carbon, which which ultimately resulted in right. The okay, thank you, Stone. There's a beginning steps of it. Yeah, not but it's, yeah. and and if I can paraphrase, uh, probably fairly accurately, our position at the time uh, on the clean power plan was. It looks surprisingly good, and uh, you're not going to get a piece of poly policy enacted by a politician, uh, especially at a level like the President of the United States, that's going to make all the environmentalists happy, because our wish list is pretty aggressive, and uh, it's and it you know our our, our pipe dream list is mm -hmm. is never going to be enacted all at once. Well, and that it, being said, it was pretty good. It was pretty good, but but also it was it was done really from a standpoint of what he could actually get done. Uh, which meant that he couldn't pass anything through Congress. Uh, so the chances of getting an actual price on carbon nationally, which was obviously the I think the the real hope uh, of environmentalists during his tenure, uh, was was go was not going to happen because of the, because of Congress and the Senate. And this was a way that to sort of flex the. And what's interesting, I think at the time when he passed this, I made a I made a comment to to conservatives, being like, "Look, the conservative answer to this problem is a price on carbon. You're forcing Obama's hand to use the sort of the more regulatory process. You're forcing right. his hand." to regulate things. You hate regulations. Right. Like, this is not what anyone wants to do. No one wants to regulate this. They would prefer to part of price on carbon and you're forcing the hand to force the regulation. So it was an interesting... And then, of course, the, the backlash was, well, now you've regulated everything, which is... Which, yes, they did, but it was because right. their hands were forced. You, like, it's a whole thing. But, but that, I mean, that's the that's the, that's the the ongoing epoch that is uh, particularly Republicans in the United States. But, I mean, conservative politics 101 is uh, lie through the teeth about what you actually want and then do something else later uh so um what the uh what the original idea was of course and sort of the comparison that i want to make is you would think if people were paying attention that they would have noticed and and to be fair i believe that a few people actually have noticed uh, but that the republicans spent seven years roughly nine years something like that saying that obamacare is the devil and uh, it's the worst thing ever. Uh, never mind the fact that it was essentially our plan. Not essentially. It was about 95%. Uh, not just their plan, but uh, the guy whose name I'm blanking on right now who ran against him, uh, Romney. Hmm. It was essentially a version of the, of a plan that was enacted in Romney's own state, uh, Obama's uh, opponent at one time. And... Uh, and so, I mean, it's it's just nonsense. But the idea that for so long they're like, this is the worst thing ever, and we have better ideas, elect us, and we'll get rid of Obamacare. First of all, you can't do it. Second of all, you also showed your hand that you didn't have another plan. You don't have a better idea. Like the the I I think it really was eye opening for a lot of people, even though I don't think it really changed anybody's politics. I think it did make a bunch of people go, oh wait a minute, you mean they were lying? <laughs> because like it was so obvious they had no plan. It's like it was the most obvious thing ever to well, everyone well, that there was did, no plan. It wasn't so much that there was no plan. It was also that there was each plan. It was almost as if everyone had a different plan. And again, right. because like, again, what ended up happening was the most conservative version of a way to get health care to everyone passed. Right. So it's like when you ask a bunch of conservatives to make this thing more conservative, it's difficult because it sort of already did that. Conservative, yeah, like, yes. yeah, like, again, if the, how do we make the, this more? The left would have preferred a single payer and a whole bunch of other things which were not passed. And so right. when you ask a bunch of conservatives to do anything else, it's a lot. You're right. They're, they're going to struggle. Right. So uh, the reason I make that comparison is because it's um, it, it's as Stefan just made very clear it's it's also it's a very good corollary which is the the idea that you know they well 
okay, you don't want this, so what do you want instead? And they're kind of like, well, we'd prefer nothing. And that was actually one of the quotes in the Guardian article we have linked, and we'll, of course, post those all on the website afterwards. But uh, it was <laughs> it was sort of one of those things where it's sort of like, well, what what do you want instead? They're like, and the guy from the, the, the working, uh, it was one of the think tanks, which is hilariously named. It's like military intelligence uh, think tanks because they come already with their opinions written for them by the corporations that are paying for the think tank. But never mind that. They do a lot of thinking, I'm sure. Um, was essentially was to have nothing. And they said that. They were like, well, we'd obviously prefer nothing. Um, so what we have to do here, and it's fine, and, and I'm sort of fine with it, If it, not that I'm fine with the outcome of it, but I'm fine with it from a rhetorical point of view if they were just like, yeah, we don't believe in climate change, or we do, we don't care about you and your kids. Uh, but they're enacting policy while just refusing to say that last part. Hmm. Because what the, that was the quote from the working group, and that was essentially what Scott Pruitt was like. He was like, basically, it was like, I'm going to do as much as I can get away with. But it was sort of implied. I don't even. He may have even gone past implication, uh, and just flat out said it. But at a bare minimum, implied uh, that his preference would be to have no rules on uh, regulating carbon. Uh, I mean, if you know anything about Scott Pruitt, that's not um, too super surprising. But as a politician with power, um, you know, he basically this is policy without the courage to call it what it is, uh, which is the we either don't believe in climate change or we don't care policy. But what's interesting here, I mean, we shouldn't surprise anyone, What's and the concerning part is obvious as well, but what, what shouldn't surprise anyone, of course, is that, um, or what's interesting, rather, is that um, is that the social conversation around this has changed so significantly that he can't come out and say that because very very recently they would just say that but now that they're in power and they do have some accountability and there are people who you know when you're just a politician fighting for office you can kind of say whatever you want and people can you know try and counter you but that like there's a limit to that but once you're actually in office like you okay now instead of just getting an ad run against you you'll be like you can be taken to court Right. And so the game changes a little bit. And so people change their tone a little bit, even if they they're still believing what they're believing when they get in there. And, and that's essentially what we're watching now with Scott Pruitt, which has made a career out of fighting environmental policy so that he, he and his business buddies can make more money. So, well, I mean, you know, never mind about your kids uh, or the or the people that are going to get poisoned and killed. But it's interesting to watch his sort of tiptoeing around saying it now that he's actually in office. Well, and, it, and you can sort of see see that thinking through how this whole thing went about which was that in 2000 again what's what always consistently happens and which is consistently just i'm sure it, it drives me nuts and i'm sure it's one of those things where like it's 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 it would be sort of poo-pooed by by people who disagree with me but it, it so often feels like there's a ton of research done on a thing uh, on, on, and they get to a point where they feel pretty confident about a number or or, or, or a decision and then someone else comes along who's just sort of like nah i don't agree and, right. and, and, and then and then wrong. and then suddenly that becomes the the two sides of the debate, right? There's there's the there's the there's the years of work that have gone into thinking about something, and then there's the nah, no argument. Right. Uh, anyways, you see it bike lane arguments here in the city. You see it every, you see it everywhere, right? And and, and then but the, the media of course picks up both sides of this conversation, and that's how you, and that's how you must talk about it is these two ways. And so to, the way this the way this sort of manifests in this particular scenario is that. Obama set up a technical working group to figure out the price of carbon. In, in 2010, the group produced a, a central value of about $21 as the social price, of, social cost of carbon. This is the, basically what I thought was like it costs $21 a ton to uh, of social damages in the world to do yeah. this. Uh, and and then at some point, that sort of at 2016, it's sort of new research resulted in an update. The figure 
made it $36 a ton. Um, and and then and there's some debate about whether where it should actually land. Some articles say $31. Some say as high as $200, uh, depending on, on all the different factors you weigh in, weigh out, right? Mm. Uh, you know, and, and this was this, you know, these numbers were challenged in court and 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 defended in court and successfully defended in court. And so there's been a lot of thought that goes into this. And part of the thinking that was go, was going to this was the idea that um, to understand the cost of carbon, you had to understand the cost uh, of carbon on the whole world rather than just America, mm. uh, because carbon is a carbon goes everywhere. This does not it does not care where you are specifically uh, when it, where it is released and how it impacts the world. And so the argument is basically if any if every single particular you know country decided to only pay attention to what what carbon would affect on its own country, then it would all then be then we're all cooking basically, right. which is a which is a reasonable way of going about this and. And I should also note that the social cost of carbon isn't actually what isn't the same as saying uh, what a price on carbon should be in a carbon price. Uh, those are sort of two separate things. This is really just talking about the social price on carbon. And the reason why this matters is it's useful in when you're determining policy uh, as a way to figuring out, you know, balancing different things. Like, should we do this or should we not do this? It's, it's, it's a useful number. And so this went on for this, you know, this was a consistent ongoing thing. They, they updated the number. They kept going at it. They, they talked out. The new EPA number uh, is uh, for the social cost on carbon is a dollar, maybe as high as six bucks, and that's a day in prison. Yeah, it's it's exactly. <laughs> uh, it's 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 nothing, right? And this is per ton again, and this, and again, it, part part of their argument is that well, we only care about America. This is just the price on America, uh, which doesn't make any sense, and but they and and doesn't really work, but. That's literally it. You know, it's been it's been nine months after uh, once since the the new EPA has been in. After nine months of basically slowly removing every single reference to climate change from your website and slowly removing all the destroying all the data you can do, you've just decided that one or six dollars, or approximately one to six dollars, is what the social cost in carbon should be for policy. Did you have a working group that came out with this number? Did you did, did are you explaining your thought thinking to the to the American public? No. All you're saying is we will defend coal. We will defend coal. We will defend coal. When everyone is telling you coal is already dead, As you know, in, including coal companies. Yeah, there's not. And, and again, and, and the idea that in the idea that you know that this is like super supported by business is a complete fallacy. You know, the major, the major, some of the major companies that are still in the states uh, are are coming out uh, in favor of the clean power plan. Now, again, they're not coal companies, but they're things like Amazon or Apple and Google and Microsoft, all of whom in March came out with Nobody a... uses those companies. Exactly, yeah. Who knows who they are? Uh, not to mention things like Adobe Mars Bars, weirdly. Mars <laughs> Bars, super into climate change as a complete, the weirdest aside, they're, 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 they're way very into... Well, the price of peanuts is going to skyrocket <laughs> they don't have peanuts that's the thing really? i yeah. thought mars bars had peanuts no mars bars are uh, are not are, are peanut free not only do i not do, do sports i also don't do candy bars well there you go man you've missed out on two great things i do candy uh, just not candy bars fair enough uh ikea blue cross blue shield these are all organizations that are coming out in favor of the of, of, of the power plan um and and they're not small companies right these the ones that people say we're listening to business what they mean is they're cherry picking the businesses that they specifically want to listen to on a specific issue you know and, and they're capitulating to them on that issue it's not random it's the ones that are giving them money well, sure but but i think actually what's interesting is that just for clarity yeah <laughs> in case anybody missed that one. right yeah um and, and and you know and i'm sure that there's other places where other regulations are being pushed back by these other companies you know it, it's like it's just capitulating on all of the things where the specific people care about money and will give you money for to do the opposite thing but it's it's just i guess i guess the 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 thing here for me is i just want people to 
explain their thinking. You know, just just that's all I ask. <laughs> you know, like if you're going to repeal the clean power plan, if you're going to do other things, uh, if you can set us, if you can explain your thinking to me in a way that feels like you've actually paid attention and are not ignoring important issues or important pieces of this thing, then we can have a conversation. If all you're saying is, meh, let's just choose a number that's much lower and then use that to justify the destruction of a It's a number, Stefan. What's the difference? Exactly. Exactly. It's the, who cares if how we came up with it or, and, and I'm not going to tell you how we did. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's that kind of thinking that is getting us to bad policy and getting us to the types of problems that we're seeing everywhere, right? You know, it's each time we sort of, like there are people doing tons and tons and tons and tons of good work of researching and understanding. We're going to, we're going to know so well how badly we are slowly messing up this entire country and entire entire world uh, by the number of excellent PhDs that are going to be coming, come out over the next 20, 30 years of like, no, really, this is getting terrifying. Uh, like, you know, it's, aliens are going to find our civilization after we've imploded and be like, man, they really knew what ha- was happening. They just, why didn't they do anything? This is confusing. Right. Uh, and then you'll have to be like, but what and should we though? It's it's the businesses, and you're like, okay, fine. I had a I had a comment. I might come back to it in, in the next section here, but just because we're we want to wrap up and get to our second music break, I'll I'll make the shorter of my two comments, which was it's what's really interesting, and and I'm not the first one to say so, but um, the, the what we're really interesting that we're watching right now is for the first time ever, um, you know, a an American politician, particularly, although this is certainly not specific to the United States, is you know always sort of. Uh, uh, what's the word we're looking for? Uh, uh, catering to a certain group. It's usually donors, and what they do is they they do they cater to the donors, and then they BS the voters, right? So they they manipulate the voters to do the donors' bidding. Uh, what we're seeing under Trump is the basically the reverse, right? He's his primary concern is not his the money he's going to get for re-election. Of course, he's going to get re-elected. He's the most awesome person ever uh, in his own mind, right? So what he's worried about, he wants the adulation. He wants the clapping. He wants the fans. He wants the he wants cheering crowds. And so what he's doing is he's manipulating and BSing companies uh, to go for what the voters, what his small group of voters want, which is why we're seeing all this ridiculous hodgepodge of like in the case of the the Clean Air Act. Uh, and why they're talking about all this coal stuff. Even As I said, even the coal companies know that coal's not coming back. They're the ones that have said so. Uh, this has nothing to do with the clean power plant or anything else, right? It, it's irrelevant. These are market it's, forces. It's the natural gas boom. It's this right. Coal. There's a variety of other factors, right? Some of them are, are climate-related, some are not. But coal's not going anywhere. So the reason why we're seeing all this push on coal is not because the companies want it. I mean, they want it. They'll take it. But they're it's not... Money. They're not the they're not the biggest voices in the room. The reason we're seeing coal as opposed to something else is because this is a talking point, and Trump is more concerned with me, and that he's that's something he knows that people think is important, and so he's talking about it because he's his primary concern is the is cheering crowds and not the the donors, uh, which is still bad, <laughs> but it's just interesting to watch. Uh, let's uh, just to, go ahead. Yeah, just to, just as a one last piece. Um, <laughs> Uh, I will leave you with two, uh, one fun fact on that, and then and then one quote to, to end, end this thing. One f- fun fact: uh, the entire coal industry employs fewer people than Arby's restaurant. 
so and when was the last time anyone went to an Arby's? Exactly. Yeah, save Arby's, everyone. Yeah. I, 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 it's way more entertaining if Scott Pruitt went on a save Arby's uh, campaign drill. Um, but should be should be notified that when people talk about sort of saving coal plants, there's very few jobs, and those that are are not very good. Uh, but to, to to wrap up on on just to to not to not sort of seem like we're taking this 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 repeal lightly because it's important that that this is not happening. Now, there's a lot, lot of things, I think, as a lot of things are happening within the states that will likely sort of force the... Like, what's really happening here is the states is getting less and less prepared to deal with the fact of the re, the reorganization of towards a cleaner energy economy that will be happening soon, uh, despite them, with them or without them. So they're really just sort of... They're, they're sort of hurting themselves in, in the long run. But uh, in the short run, who they're hurting is, once again, poor and disadvantaged people. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the EPA previously estimated that the Clean Power Plan would prevent 90,000 child asthma attacks, 3,600 premature deaths by the year 2030, and that these these gains would be made would be made in disadvantaged communities uh, and among people of color who disproportionately live next to sources of toxic pollution. So these are people who are living beside coal plants, um, which you know again is the whole basis of environmental justice. And, and on that on that note, uh, the the former senior official at the EPA's Office of Environmental Justice, uh, Mustafa Santiago, uh, is just quoted as saying, and this is like sort of one of those things which I feel like is just consistently said and said well said here, just like unfortunately our most vulnerable communities will face the brunt of this irresponsible decision, including disproportionate health impacts, while rich corporations that have control of the EPA will reap the profits. And that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also very, a shame that you know that this guy had to resign from the EPA's office because he realized how bad all this would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I hope, I hope he does something. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go to our second final music break. We'll be back with a short thinking piece uh, from me on, on trade deals and maybe some other snippets of news here and there. Uh, Megan is once again going to give us our music break. All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIET 89.5 FM and our wonderful community radio partners internationally, uh, particularly in Canada because we're Canadian. And uh, sorry, guys, we're patriotic and we like you better. Just, but just a tiny little bit. Because we're all Canadians. <laughs> I'm half American. Stefan is half not Canadian. <laughs> so uh, I have a quick comment I wanted to do before the break in here. I'll do that before I get into my sort of like mini topic, and we'll see how much time is left because I don't know if Stefan's going to want to chime in on either of these two comments. Uh, one of them quickly was just to, to note on uh, media and, and how it could talk about, I don't want to say should, uh, but I maybe could. I'll propose this as opposed to assert it. Uh, could talk about numbers because numbers can get very sticky. You know, this we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, about, uh, as Stefan was saying before the break there, about the idea that, you know, someone who could do a lot of work, have a, like, you know, 50 years of research that combined meta-analysis from dozens of world-renowned institutions all across the world, and then they'll put them on TV with someone who just says, yeah, but how about no? Um, and they're treated, you know, well, what, do you, how, what about this guy says no? What do you think about that? And you're like, oh, my God. So there is a way, I think, that the media, but uh, sorry, the other side of that is the other side of the coin is that it's very, it can be very tricky for the media, especially for on the news cycle and the rapidity with which they need to put out content uh, in this media environment and in our sort of Twitter style media environment that we've got. Um, and the globalization of news that news people want to read is is just coming out at such a furious pace. Well, how do you do that work? So here's my proposal about how the media could do a better job of, of doing this is the media does not need to be uh, arbitrating good research from bad research in the sense that they should be disputing findings. 
What they can do, I think, that is not that, um, because then they would just be in the business of like being science review journals, is that what they can do is that they can look at methodology. And I think that's really where, so if somebody is just going, well, I represent a trade group and we, our position is this, who cares? <laughs> who cares? What is your research? What is it? What is the data upon which you're basing this opinion? If you don't have it, why are we talking to you? Because there's no difference between an industry trade group, just because the guy who's CEO of that group gets paid $250,000 a year because they're funded by Exxon and wears a suit, his opinion is no more relevant than a random person on the street. And you wouldn't, well, maybe you would, CNN, but uh, you know, most news organizations wouldn't put a random person on the news and put them next to somebody who has credentials and say, you know, well, what, do, what do each of you think? Make your case. Uh, so where I think this can happen is, you'll, you know, if you have two or three positions and there's a clear, like you're not in the business of saying this methodology is better than that. That's That resolution is a little too tight. Mm -hmm. But if you have people where, okay, we have two studies and they come to very, very different conclusions and you look at the methodology and one of them included, say, three data sets that are all relevant and the other one included six, but five of them aren't relevant. Like it's like, and layman, so let's make an example. Uh, well, we were studying the impacts of fast food and two of our restaurants out of our five restaurants were not fast food restaurants. Well, you don't need to be a researcher to know that that's bad methodology, right? So you can just throw that away, right? You just, and what you don't do is you don't put it and say, well, the review study from this group says this and the review study says this group says this. If the methodology is obviously faulty, then you don't need to talk about it. And if someone says, well, what about this? You can say, well, their methodology is, is improper. With it doesn't, if they're welcome to, you know, if they do research with valid methodology, like I think that you are still making a judgment call there, but I think that you can make some amount and maybe you're gonna, maybe you make it so loose that you keep in some, some poor information because you have to draw a line somewhere. The, the New York Times is not, and it can't be expected to be an expert. They're not a science review journal. Uh, so maybe you make that very loose and, and some poor, uh, poor information still makes it into the cut. But there is a cut that can be made that will clean out almost exclusively uh, either intentional or unintentional bull poo. <laughs> uh, nice catch. Yeah, nice catch, eh? Um, and, and the, but the thing is, there's no attempt being made. Well, and so that's my, uh, that's all I wanted to say. Maybe you can just have a comment. Yeah, but. yeah. Well, just to jump off on that, the, like, you know, currently in Toronto, we're having a discussion around the Bloor bike lanes, mm -hmm. right? And, and the Bloor bike lanes are a fantastic example of you can do as much research as you want. You can count the number of people who are using the bike lanes. You can show that, the, you can use, you can do all the methodology that shows that, you know, that in fact, you know, the amount of money that is being made by the businesses is not that impacted, that uh, majority of people are, are, that both cars, and bicyclists can, will enjoy their time, like both appreciate biking uh, and driving better on the streets. Like you know, mm. like anyone who was on 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 Bloor before the bike lanes remembers how dangerous it felt being on there, mm. uh, especially given how many cars are we in and out. Very quickly for context for our non-Toronto listeners, Bloor is one of the city's ma most major arteries. Yeah, exactly. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, but uh, of, like pedestrian arteries with like shops. It, and exactly. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like everything. Exactly. Yeah, and so the conversation goes back and forth, and and then the. And then the argument sort of ends up resting on the, the no side ends up resting on these sort of like f certain number of, of businesses that have decided that it has hurt their business and and therefore they don't like it versus you know the the extensive study the the city has done and uh, and and then the opinions of cyclists and everything. It's, it's like we've decided that this one very small set of people's opinions are going to be the debate we're now going to have and and had anything almost gone wrong as ridiculous as this as, for the for the bike lanes you know had there been 
not as high ridership or had their you know other other things come back more poorly you you'd see then the, the, the people would see this as actually kind of a toss up right. you know, like whereas basically everything it's had pretty to go decisive. Yeah. Yeah, everything had to go right basically for the <laughs> Steve to, to to get to the point where they are now which is like they likely stay but again the media will still only be talking about this conversation of like what do these two or three people who are they'll go and interview the one business owner who insists that it's bad for his business yeah. and then put that next to the guy that did the study that shows that he's wrong yeah right <laughs> and say well who are we to say uh, intense debate at city hall today well, Exactly. Yeah, because that's the story. The story isn't it. Should we have bike lanes? The story is. Uh, and the story is not what does the data show? No, exactly. Yeah, the story is what was the fight at City Hall today? Right. Like that's the you know people <laughs> people yelled at each other. Let's cover the people yelling at each other, not the reasons why people are yelling, or 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 what could be done to minimize the yelling in the right. future. And you can still do that, but you it, it requires taking a position on the side of truth. And this is something that that news organizations are very reluctant to do, which is that you can still have your drama story if you want. Like, I would prefer them to just ignore the guy who's who's wrong, because who cares? <laughs> lots of people are about wrong about lots of things. The fact that he's yelling doesn't mean he should be on the news, right? But okay, maybe I'll concede that one and say, okay, I understand you have profit motive and blah, blah, blah. You need to have you, you want to have your drama, fine. You can still do it in a responsible way. You can still introduce the news story with, here's the results of the study, there's been intense debate, but it turns out here's the truth. By the way, here's this guy who's wrong, and isn't it funny how he's yelling, but it's too bad that he's wrong. <laughs> right? There's a way to, and of course, you can, you can put that in more quote-unquote PC language and all that, <laughs> but that's still a way you can do that and still, and still can get your drama, have your cake and eat it too. You can have your drama, but still not confuse people about the truth in cases where there is a, a, the truth to be had. And as Stefan very rightly pointed out, it was possible that the study could have been much more of a mixed bag. And then there really would be a case for having a, okay, well, the study's inconclusive. Um, let's hear from, now let's weigh in on public opinion. Because I think when the study, when science is inconclusive or when, when data is inconclusive, falling back on public preference is, I think, perfectly valid. Well, and I would, I would even go as further as to say, I think you have to, there is value in understanding local perspectives of, of these things, right? Like metrics alone are not going to tell the whole story. You have to get these other stories as well. Or interview the guy and say, well, what about the fact that you're wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, again, like, but it's like, you know, like the, like, I feel like, you know, you have, it, it, there's importance to still understand what the experiences from these particular people but it's it's sort of it's this weird idea that the you know the people say who are uh who are businesses who are in that one area are the ones who matter not the people who are the extra 300 people who are biking you right. know like they're the they, like who cares what they think uh it's the it's the you know it's the it's this other entire set of people who are talking about it and it's a sort of back and forth of like you know, it, it's it is it's just, it's a much easier to write an article. That says this came out. These are the people who said said for this person. This one person said other thing, uh, or these you know twenty thirty businesses, however many there are that are, that are actually against the bike lanes, came out and said this other thing. Um, go at it. But like, it's the the audience isn't learning anything. We're we're, we're, we're we end up sort of paying attention and playing with the you know the sort of the doldrums of, of 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 disagreement rather than the discussion of of how okay, okay so if you don't want bike lanes how do you want us to build the city right like that's the question I have, uh, right. have for these things so we just we have just under four minutes yeah. so I want to cut you off right there I'm gonna here's my food for thought for the week because we it really I'm gonna come back to this anyway so here's my here we'll just do this as food for thought for the week my food for thought for the week is that trade deals are generally been opposed uh, very popularly opposed by quote unquote the left. 
uh, since Seattle, essentially, since the quote-unquote battle in Seattle, the World Trade Organization, uh, this has been an ongoing fight for people of my generation, uh, at times even inappropriately, I would say. It's sort of people got it uh, for a very knee-jerk trade deals are bad uh, sort of mindset. And, and while that's usually right, it's not always right. It's not right by definition. And it's not always right even by trade deals that we see. I'm not a trade deal expert, so I'm not going to dig into the minutia, nor do I have time. We might do that when I actually come back and do the episode. But here's my food for thought proposal. The reason that trade deals suck is not because uh, f- creating agreements on you know preferential trade are bad. It's because they're bad because they're written by corporations and then handed to politicians to enact that are written by politi- uh, by corporations to give them power and authority and profits. And this power and authority and profits often comes at the cost of people's liberty and their lives and the planet and all sorts of other things. So here's my proposition. If you create a trade deal for peace and for climate justice and for all sorts of other justice where you say... Here's a trade deal. We're going to give amazing concessions and we're going to create a really beneficial trade environment for people uh, based on your agreement to adhere to these policies. But these policies are you must have a mandatory minimum income in your country. So we're we're going to buy. We'll, sure, we'll buy. T- Canadians can buy from Bangladesh, but you're not allowed to buy T-shirts from Bangladesh because you're paying your workers four cents an hour. Um, you know, we we will we will create some system by which you maybe can up that. I understand there's some complexity to that, and you can't just say here's fifteen dollars an hour. But you have that discussion. You work that out. Right, trade deals take years to enact. Uh, you could say we're going to give these really great trade deals, but we're no longer buying these types of products, and we're not going to deal with you unless you have an, a national state policy that meets at a bare minimum this agreement. Right, so you sort of turn climate policy into trade into a into an, uh, a starting position for trade policy, and you can start tacking these things on. And Canada could do this. Canada could actually even start in a really really weak way because there's a few areas where Canada is, is doing really well as far as where our internal policy on a variety of social justice issues. We suck in a bunch of other issues, so don't get me wrong. Uh, we have a lot of work to do, particularly, and I will. there's a number of things I could point out. I will take this opportunity to point out uh, uh, First Nations people, obviously, is a glaring example of room for improvement being a massive understatement. Uh, but there are some areas where we're doing better than some other folks. So that is not to say we shouldn't do better, but why don't we say, okay, here's a bunch of awesome things we're already doing, or, or better than most people things that we're already doing. Let's say we're not going to trade with you unless you do that as a minimum. And start there. And maybe this can get ratcheted up over time, and maybe we create an economic zone that's scattered all across the world. You know, maybe it's North Dakota, but not South Dakota based on whatever. And it might end up being this giant hodgepodge. But what you do is once this economic block gets enough gusto, you essentially force everybody else into compliance through trade, which is very, very, very effective in case you hadn't noticed at getting people to change their national policy. But instead of doing this in a way that helps only corporations and screws over the planet and the rest of us, we can actually flip this on its uh, flip the script, if you will, flip it over and, uh, and use it to push back in the other direction. That is all the time we have for this week's show. I want you to think about that. If you have any thoughts about it, please email the show. We are going to come back and do a proper episode then on that as soon as Stefan and I are not working a combined 500 hours a week. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to The Green Majority. Have a good green week, folks. Greenmajority.ca. Check it out, and we'll see you all later.